definitely echo everything that Jeff said. Uh, we are blessed to be in partnership and in friendship with Woods Edge. And I mean that as much uh, for the people as it is for he and Gail. Um, you all have always been a warm, welcoming group for us. And uh, I just feel like family. So, I mean, if I could, I'd just kick my shoes off and act at home. But, uh, uh, but I feel like that with you. So I'm grateful. I'm grateful for the relationships here. Uh, I did, and, and in lieu of that, there was a picture I asked him to show. Uh, we had the opportunity to travel with some of the folks here to Israel. And this picture is special to me, um, not just because of where we are in the Jordan River and who we're with, but also um, I've been baptized twice in my adult life, and I'm grateful Jeff did not hold me under as long as the first guy did. <laughs> and so he, he always will have a special place in my heart because of that, because it was cold. It was cold in there. But, uh, but we had a blessed time, and we were so grateful to be able to fellowship with them on that. Uh, while I uh, want to talk to you this morning, if you have your Bibles, if you would open them up to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. Uh, we are going to be talking this morning about the spirit of unity. The spirit of unity. Uh, let me read the passage here, and then we'll look at a few things here. Paul says, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father, of all who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Amen. So if you're familiar with this, Paul, after the first three chapters, has been speaking to them about doctrine of the faith. But in the next two chapters, four, or three, four through six, he begins to talk to them about the application of that doctrine. He's talking to Jews and Gentiles who are now believers and who now must walk in the spirit of unity. And Paul understood, like you and I understand, that it's not enough to just have it intellectually here. That somewhere, somehow it's got to work its way here and then it's got to work its way to our feet and how we walk it out. And so Paul is telling them, here is how you do this. But he's talking about this thing of unity. Unity is an essential element to any group. It's, in fact, it's what makes a group a team and not just a collection of individuals. And if you stayed up late enough last night, you got a chance to see what that looks like. Yeah? Amen. Amen. That's right. What you saw was not a collection of individuals, but you saw a team believing in one another because they had a unified goal. You know, the thing about it, we as believers have been given something that unifies us, the blood of Christ. Amen. You know, 
teams have to create it. They have to come up with something that will get people who grew up in another context and people who grew up in a different context that have no other way of connecting, they have to have something that will buy, cause them to buy in for this collective goal. In fact, you know, I'm a big sports guy. I love watching sports stuff. And one of the guys, uh, there's a coach that I really enjoy. His name is Doc Rivers. He coaches for the Clippers, but he used to coach for the Boston Celtics. And sometimes they will drop a camera in his huddle, and you get a chance to hear what he's saying to the team. And honestly, it's, it's like little sermons sometimes that he's preaching in there. But I was watching a contest one time, and the game was in the fourth quarter in the balance. And it was starting to get away from, the, from his team. You could tell, like, they were about to lose it if they didn't pull it together. So he calls a timeout, and he pulls his guys in a huddle, and he begins to implore them and remind them of the goal. He says, guys, remember what we came here to do. Remember what we are supposed to be doing. And then he says, now is the time to pull in. Don't pull apart. He could see in the eyes of some of his guys, they were starting to blame one another. People were missing assignments, and it was starting to, it was starting to fray. He says, now is the time to pull in. And I really believe if there was something to say to the body of Christ today, now is the time to pull in. Sometimes we look at society and even in the church and we see things, they seem to be fraying a little bit. They seem to be pulling apart a little bit. And now is the time to pull in on the principles of faith just like Paul was saying to the people of his day. Amen? Amen. Amen. There's a Scottish theologian named William Barclay. He says this, Christians are people who are drawn together because they owe a common debt to the goodness and the grace of God. Is that not true? Amen. We are all called together because we owe a common debt to a, to a Savior who paid it for us. But you know, once we understand that, there are some other elements Paul wanted us to understand about now that you got it here, how are you going to walk this thing out? Well, in verse 1 he says, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you have been called. Paul wants us, wants us to understand who we are and what we've been called to. I didn't, I've never been a part of the military, but I grew up an army brat. My dad was in the army, so I spent a lot of time around the armed services. And one of the things that I know is the moment you become a part of them, they want you to understand who you are and what you are from this point forward. However you used to deal with it, that's not how we do it in the army. However you dealt with adversity before, that's not how we deal with it as a Marine. This is how you are to conduct yourself. Because it's important that you know who you are. When you see, if you read history and, and people who've been raised in royalty, they've been taught from an early age, this is who you are and this is how you must conduct yourself. You can't be like everybody else because you've been called, you are royalty. And it impacts all that they do. Well, Paul starts off by telling us because too many people in the body forget who we are and what we've been called to and the awesome responsibility it is and how it compels us to walk in unity. So he says, remember who you are and walk worthy of your calling. You know, 
I have four children. Three of them are still at home, teenagers with me. I need your prayers with that, okay? <laughs> I'm not just filling up time with that. I, I, I need your prayer with that. Amen. But uh, when they were younger, we had a tradition of Friday night was movie night, right? So that meant for a good season of our lives, we had a steady dose of the Lion King. Like, that's what it was every Friday night, the Lion King. But, you know, there was a scene in that movie that reminds me of what we're talking about today. And if you're familiar with the movie, Simba, who was a young lion who was supposed to rise into authority and be the king of Pride Rock one day, he thought he was responsible for the death of his father. So he runs away from his calling and his responsibility, and he finds himself in the jungle where he's befriended two animals that he's supposed to be eating, but now they're his friends, Pumbaa and Simba. And so, Akuna Matata, if you don't know, I'm going to translate it for you. It means no worries. And so, that's what they're doing, just living in the jungle, eating worms. He's a lion. He's eating worms, hanging out, forgot all about what he's supposed to be. Till one day, a wise monkey comes to him and says, hey, I know you. You're Mufasa's boy. You're, you're going to be king one day. And he says, no, you, you probably didn't hit the news, but my dad is dead. And, man, I'm not going to be king one day, and it's just a whole story. He says, no, your dad's not dead. I've seen your dad. He says, yes. He, no, I've seen your dad. He's not dead. And if you come with me, I'll show him to you. So Simba, intrigued but doubtful, follows this monkey through the jungle, and they come to this open pond. He says, now look in this pond and see your father. He looks in the pond, and he says, it's just my reflection. And then he touches the water with his stick, and he says, now look again. And as the water ripples, he looks in the pond, and the image of his father is reflected in him. And then at that very moment, the hills, the clouds roll over the hills, and you see the spirit of his father, Mufasa, and the only voice that could be Mufasa, James Earl Jones. <laughs> I got, I got goosebumps right now, I'm telling you. And he says, he says, Simba, you have forgotten me. And Simba, you can hear the trembling in his voice, half crying and half joyful to see his father. He says, Father, I would never forget you. I would never forget you. He says, you have forgotten who you are, thus you have forgotten me. I wonder sometimes if God wants to look at us and say, You've forgotten who you are. You've forgotten what you've been called to. And thus, you forgot, you forget me. I've called you to walk in this spirit of unity. I've called you to love your brother and sister. And yet, every time you walk away from them, you've forgotten who I am and what I've called you to be. There are three attitudes that Paul goes on the list that I think we could be reminded of as we seek to walk in a spirit of unity. In verse 2, he says, with all humility. Humility meaning we see ourselves as God sees us with great value, but we're no important than anyone else. Pride promotes disunity, and humility always promotes unity. See, I am a person who loves debate. I love to go back and forth. Every two weeks when I go to the barbershop, they're waiting on me and I'm waiting on them. 
and we're going to hash it out. We're going to talk sports, politics, current events, whatever it is. I love giving my opinion on stuff. But you know, one of the things that God has had to show me, and he have, I have heard his voice at times tell me, David, shut up. You don't know everything and you don't have the answer to all things. Sometimes you need to create room and let other people talk. And I'm sure right now my wife is sitting in her seat saying, preach that thing. Preach. Because she said, I know that's the Lord talking to you. Preach it. She's, not, she's just nice enough not to say it out loud. I, I appreciate that about her. But, you know, the reality is it, it, so, many, so much disunity is caused because people fail to walk in humility. We understand the first part that we're special in God's eyes, but we forget the second part that we're no more special than anybody else. And how many times have things fallen apart because somebody doesn't see it the way I see it? Because they don't take the exact path that I want to take. And so because of it, I'm done with you. I'm blocking you on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. We no longer cool. And this happens in the body of Christ when God has called us to walk with each other in humility. Because see, I, one thing I know, humility will bring unity. When people humble themselves and recognize that, you know what, you might be different than me and you do see it different than me. But you know what? I'm called to walk with you because you love Christ, because you're a child of his. And so maybe we're going to learn something from each other, even though we might disagree. A spirit of humility is important if we're going to walk in unity. Next, he goes on to say in gentleness, the opposite of self-assertion and rudeness or harshness. Too many times, unity is lost because of how we handle each other. Our words, our actions, our, our demeanor towards one another can be in a way where if you, if you, from where I'm from, people will tell you, that don't make me lay down my religion out here. Well, I got news for you. You don't have an option to lay it down. You don't have an option to go off on somebody in the body of Christ. Now, am I saying we can never disagree? No. Am I not saying we have disagreements and we have to work them out? Yes. But I'm saying we're responsible for how I handle you in gentleness. And when we're done, I don't walk out of a room and slam a door. I want to make sure, are we okay? I know we had to exchange some difficult words, but it's important to me that we walk out of this room with some unity. Or that we walk out of this room and you, you don't feel, feel that I've handled you in an incorrect way. Husbands, come on. That's important because I'm responsible for how this relationship is handled before God. So gentleness has to be a part of walking in unity. I don't care how angry I am. I don't care how disappointed I am. I am responsible to be gentle. And then he says patience. Patience is believing in God's timetable and being all right with it. No matter what it is. Abraham and Sarah had to wait on God for a lot of years. Noah had to build an ark when it wasn't a drop in sight. But he had to be patient. And see, this is difficult for us today, you all. You know why? 
because we live in a society all around us that tells you, you don't have to wait on nothing. No, you can go online and we'll bring the food to you, right to your door. <laughs> oh, yeah, we'll bring that to you. And, and guess what? If you see something you don't like online, just hit that little blue button on Amazon. It'll be at your house tomorrow. You don't have to wait on anything, and we're going to cater to you. You tell us if we did a good job, and if we can do it faster, we'll do it faster. And we want to bring that same attitude sometimes to the things of God, into the house of God, into his precepts and principles. We want stuff to get fixed overnight. I want to walk in unity with you right now. I want it to be fixed, and I want it to be right now. Well, sometimes it takes patience. Sometimes what God wants to do, it don't happen in the microwave. It happens, and we as Texans should understand this. It don't happen in the microwave, it happens in a slow pit. See, if you know anything about barbecuing now, you got to put that meat on there and you got to leave it alone. You got to be patient with it. You know, the saying that I tell, I always tell our guys, is like, listen now, if you looking, it ain't cooking. All right? You got to put it on there and close that thing and you got to let it do, do what it does. Leave it alone, be patient with it, and let it go. But see, we don't do that sometimes in the relationships and the things, the interactions we have in the body. We want it to happen instantly. And God says, no, oftentimes through the long search, the patience is when I'm doing the work. Because you got to die to yourself. You got to live with the tension that is unresolved. You got to keep working it. You got to keep working it. And God oftentimes does a work in you in us, in the process. So we got to learn to be patient. All things can't be fixed quickly. All disagreements can't happen instantly, be resolved instantly. And oftentimes God wants to do a work in us, in the process. You know, I had a, a situation with a good friend of mine. We were in ministry together, we still are. And uh, he, we are two different guys. He's white, I'm black. He's from a different upbringing. I'm from a different upbringing. I mean, we are as opposite as opposite could be. And we were in, we were coming home from a conference one time, and I had heard him say a few things that I just didn't quite agree with in how you do this work that we're doing. And so I just said, you know what, we got two and a half hours in this car. We're going to talk about some of this. <laughs> and so we started talking about it, you know, and it was, you know, nice little two good brothers, you know, loving each other, talking about it, but it started to get a little warm. <laughs> then it started to boil a little bit, and I mean, then it just boiled over into an all-out shouting match. Who are you, and what are you doing? What kind of God do you serve? Who, what did you read? I mean, we just going at it. But you know, a funny thing happened in the process. When we finally got to where we were going, when we pulled up in the driveway, we were both in tears. And it was the craziest thing because for the first time in my life, I realized this brother is different than me. He's wired different than me. He was brought up different than me. He sees it different than me. But he loves God as much as I do. He's serving Christ as much as I am. He's trying to do what God's called him to do. I'm trying to do what God is calling me to do. Why am I spending time fighting him? when we ought to be anchoring together to do what God's called us to do. And so what I learned is there is richness that comes from the difference. 
instead of arguing and fighting with each other because he wants to go this way and I want to go this way. We got to take the time to be, as he says in verse 3, we've got to bear one another in love. I got to look at my brother and sister and say, man, they love God as much as I do. They're trying to walk with God as much as I am. I got to bear with them in love. And just because it's different than me doesn't mean it's not of God. And so we got to keep that in mind. And he tells us in verse 3, he makes it clear, being diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. What Paul is saying is, All these other folks got to go out on your job. They got to convince you and come up with reasons why you need to be unified to get the task done. If you play sports, they have to come up with something to unify you all so that you can be focused on the goal. When we come to Christ, we don't have to make up anything. It's built already baked into the cake. Jesus is the unifier. The forgiveness of sin of all of us because none of us were worthy. All of us were worthy of judgment. But through the blood of Christ, we found salvation. And so because of that, Jesus is our unifier. So we don't have to create something, but you doggone well believe we got to fight to preserve it. Because the enemy, day one, the quickest way to destroy a movement of God is disunity. To get in the midst of it and cause disunity. So we have to fight to preserve it, as Paul says. Being diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. And we can do that by being humi- walking in humility, by being gentle with one another. And lastly, as he says, being patient and long-suffering with one another. You know, in verse 4 and 6, he says, the church is one body. Believers must, we may meet in many different places, we may speak different languages, we live in different cultures, but none of that really separates us because we're one in Christ. You know, I've recently, in the last couple of years, had the opportunity to travel to different countries on mission trips and things of that nature, and I'm always amazed how we show up at a place, we don't know the language, we don't know the customs real well. But boy, when the music starts playing and the hands go up, it's like we've been knowing each other all our lives. I don't even know the words, but I know how the song goes and I can sing it in my language. And we lift up our hands together and it's a unity that you couldn't experience in anything else. It's a beautiful thing. You know, within our culture, in the context that we live, One of the things that you'll see, my kids stopped me one day, especially between African-American men. When we're walking in a place, sometimes if we're in the mall or the store, we'll see one another and there's an exchange happen without much happening. And it's a simple, what's up, as we pass each other. And one day my kids stopped me and they said, Dad, do you know him? I was like, no, I don't know. And they were like, well, then why 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 are you speaking to him like that? There's an understanding within the culture of, hey, we know what time it is. We have a shared experience. And it's just a natural thing that happens. But it's nothing compared to what happens in the body of Christ. 
There's nothing like being able to come into a church like Woods Edge where many of you I don't know or have never met and be able to say, what's up? Let's lift our hands together and worship our God. Let's link arms. And you don't know me from Adam, but we are one in the body. Amen? It's a beautiful thing, but we've got to fight to preserve it, and we can't let society... And all around us cause because, hey, maybe I voted this way and you voted that way. Come on now. Maybe because, hey, you grew up thinking like this and I grew up thinking like that. You know, you root for the Astros and he rooted for the Yankees last night. You know what I'm saying? Come on, let's keep it real now. Don't lock the church doors on them. All these little things that society has and the world has that seek to divide us. And you'd be amazed, and some of you wouldn't because we know it. We allow them to speak to us more than we speak to them. And that's where God says, remember who you are. Remember what you are called to be a part of. You know, there's another movie in our family, in our, in our Friday family night, movie nights. We, we finally transitioned from The Lion King they got a little older, and we, we ended up moving on to Remember the Titans. We, have, we got plenty of that one, too. You know, there was a scene in that movie. If you know that movie, it's the story of two segregated schools coming together, and they can't seem to get it out and get on the same page. And one day, the two leaders, one black guy and one white guy, they're arguing in practice, and one guy tells him, man, you're not being a good leader because you're, you're not doing your job out here. And the other one looks at him and says, you're supposed to be the team captain? I'm supposed to be a leader following you? He says, attitude reflects leadership. When you do what you're supposed to do, the rest of us can follow. Well, I believe the world would look at the church and say, attitude reflects leadership. When the church rises up, when we begin to walk out, the true meaning of what it means to be unified, the world can't help but stop and look and say, Mm, there must be something to that. How are they able to do that across every line that divides us? But they're walking in unity. Now listen, it's easier to stand here and preach these things. As I told you, I have three teenagers at home. Hey, listen, I'm, I'm out on a limb here. I don't even know if there'll be unity when I get home tonight. <laughs> we, 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 we walking this thing out now. We trying. But I can tell you we're going to fight for it because it's important. And so that brings the question that many say, well, Pastor Hill, where do I start? Where does it begin? If I'm going to walk this out, you know, it begins where most things do, at home. See, it's hard to walk in unity anywhere else when you don't have it at home. And you know where you can start? You can start with the person that you wake up to next every day, every morning. You can walk by walking these principles out with them. With the ones who live down the hallway from you. That eat up your food and spend all your money. <laughs> that test your patience and gentleness. You can start with them. Come on now. Because these principles got to be exercised. I'm telling you, the, the hardest people to love are the ones closest to you. But when is this exemplified at home, then it can spill over to our brothers and sisters in church and to all those we encounter in society. And when people see you coming, they ought to see peace and unity in you. They ought to see not someone who's divisive, 
but somebody who's speaking love and wants to bring folks together. When your pastor sees you in church, he ought to be excited to have you because he knows, man, this person's bringing unity. They are, they are on the vision and they're walking out the principles of God. It's not an easy thing, but it's what God has called us to because of who we are. Amen? I want to pray for you this morning, but I want to pray for you. There's a song that the Lord has put on my heart. And I want to pray that as we leave this place, that whether God has spoken to you about home, church, work, relationships, whatever it may be, that you will be empowered and encouraged to know that it's through the power of Christ that you can do this. In our own flesh and blood, it's not capable. But through him, through his spirit, we can walk in this manner. Amen. If you'd bow your heads, let me just pray this. We need wisdom, we need power, and true love for each other. We have had so many big but empty words. So we come before your face, asking for your grace. Bring your people to a kingdom state of life. Restore your church again. Touch your people once again, oh Lord, with your precious holy hand, I pray. Let a mighty rushing wind blow in through a living, glorious church. Not for temporary deeds, oh Lord, but to restore authority and power. Let a mighty rushing wind blow in, touch your people once again. Let a mighty rushing wind blow in, touch your people once again. Father, would you touch us as we leave this place? Would your hand be on every heart? Father, even if we've been wounded, scarred, abandoned, whatever it might be, but let your spirit rest, rule, and abide in us, that we may walk in a spirit of unity that would speak to the world, Christ is Lord. Amen.